I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. If you've been with us for a while, you're like, wait, what? We're not in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we have been studying through the Gospel of Luke now for oh, let's say uh, 17 months. So we've been going through the Gospel of Luke for quite a while. We'll be in it for quite a while longer. We're learning about Jesus, his ways, and his kingdom. And as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, we saw last week another run-in with a character that we've seen several times now in the Gospel of Luke, and that is the devil. Last week, we saw in the scriptures that Jesus spoke of the devil, spoke of demons, spoke of demonic powers, and we know from 1 John 3, 8 that the reason that Jesus appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, and so we're seeing as we read through the gospels, well, what does that actually mean? We all come to the table with different backgrounds on what do we even believe about the devil or demonic forces or how does all that work? And we're trying to make sense of what scripture teaches because this is Jesus's perspective and we are seeking to be Jesus's people. We're seeking to follow him. And if he came in order to destroy the works of the devil, I think that we would all agree, well, it's important to know who scripture teaches the devil is. What are these works that he does and how does Jesus destroy them? And so that's what we're looking at. And I shared with you last week, I had three hopes for you in this teaching series. Number one, that your relationship with God would grow. Because I'm hoping that as we see this, as we see Jesus destroying the works of the devil, and you see his power, and you see the goodness of his power on display over and over and over again, that you would be awakened to a new aspect or a new understanding, a new revelation of who he is. And not just so that you could accumulate knowledge, knowledge is important, but so that it would move you to love and to worship, that we would see Jesus and savor Jesus. So I'm hoping that as we study that your relationship with God grows. Jesus is the best thing going. He's the bread of life. When you eat of him, you are fully satisfied. And I want you to be able to eat and to feast on him. So as we study this, this is an opportunity to learn and to see him in a new way, in a new light, and to love him in that way. Second hope that I have for you is that as we learn about how Jesus destroys the works of the devil, that you would find greater freedom. We see that Christ has come to set us free. Christ has come to bring healing to the brokenhearted. Christ has come to release captives into their destiny. And I know that we're all hungry for freedom. We're hungry for healing. And so my hope and prayer is that as we study the scriptures on these topics, that there would be healing and freedom that would come to your life as we learn and as we grow. Third hope that I have for you is that this doesn't just stop with you. You have a calling on your life. Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth, that you are the light of the world. In him, his light shines through us. And there are people in your world and mine that we are friends with, co-workers with, neighbors with, that also need to experience healing and freedom that Christ brings. And so I'm hoping and praying that this series is equipping for you, that this is learning for you, not just for your own life, but that the Lord is training you so that when the time comes, when there's someone in your world that's going through some things that you're equipped to help them experience and encounter the love and the grace and the power of God to bring healing and life. 
So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles and, and take it in for yourself. I want to encourage you to take notes, to learn and let this go deeply within you. And I've, I've moved us for one week into the Gospel of John on this topic because there's an important aspect of this battle between Jesus and Satan, of who Satan is and what his works are, that's clearly illuminated in the Gospel of John. And as you see it, I think it's going to reframe and reform your understanding of Jesus as we study through the Gospel of Luke. So we're taking a brief pit stop today, Gospel of John, and then we'll be back in the Gospel of Luke for the foreseeable future. Next week is Mother's Day. So remember that if you've not bought your mom a card or flowers or something of that sort, now would be a good time to do it. Next week is Mother's Day. Don't forget, we're going to be celebrating uh, everyone, mothers in particular, next Sunday. Our own Nancy Eisenberg, who's one of our children's pastors, is going to be speaking. She's, I've seen her message. It's going to be powerful. Whether you are a mother or not, you will be built up. You will be encouraged. You will be envisioned uh, around the theme of hope. So that would be next week. And then back into the gospel of Luke. Okay, John chapter 8, verse 31. We're going to read an interaction between Jesus and some Jewish people that he was around, that he was teaching with, that he was interacting with. John chapter 8. Verse 31, Jesus speaking, and he said to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And then look what happens. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When you hold to his teaching, you'll become his disciples. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, these Jews answered, they said, well, we're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Verse 34, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence and what you are, and, and you are doing, um, sorry, and you are doing what you heard from your father. So I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence. You are doing what you heard from your father. Verse 38, but Abraham is our father, they answered. Jesus replies, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did no such thing. You are doing the works of your own father, we're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer 
from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So let's begin to make sense of what Jesus is saying here. First of all, you'll notice Jesus is speaking very sharply, very directly. He's not pulling any punches. He's not sugarcoating it. He's calling a spade a spade. And I feel pressed as your pastor to remind you that when we read through the Gospels and we see Jesus speaking sharply to people, it is not for the purpose of writing them off. It is not for the purpose of saying, I'm done with you. Jesus speaks sharply to people when what they need to be able to hear has to come to them in a sharp way to awaken them. The people that he's speaking to were were hardened in their religious pride. They had become so prideful, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. They become so full of themselves that Jesus said, you have no room to take in my word. Jesus, as we read through the Gospels, doesn't speak sharply to broken people. He doesn't speak sharply to hurting people. He doesn't speak sharply to hungry people. He doesn't speak sharply to people who know their need for him. Jesus speaks sharply to proud people. And if you experience Jesus speaking sharply to you, it's probably because you have some pride and you need to be awakened from your pride. And this is the only way to get through. Jesus is speaking here out of love. His desire is not to write them off, but to bring them in. Second thing, as we begin to kind of make sense of what's going on here, you'll notice that Jesus is speaking to the Jews. Now, this is so important. You really need to hear this. When we read about the Jewish people in scripture, yes, it is about the Jews, but these are stories about all of us. The point is not to read this and be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe how foolish are they, how evil are they, how this, they're their devil's children. No, 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 no. This is about you and me. This is about humanity. This is about us. Like you're missing it if you, if you, what you walk away with here is a negative view of a certain type of people. What you need to walk away with is searching your own heart for, wow, what does this say about me. The point of this is not the Jews to whom he's speaking. Jesus could have come to to many people, right? He could come in this room and maybe he would say the same thing to us. Maybe we're so full of our own religious pride that we would need him to speak in a sharp way. So I just want to encourage you. This is not, this is about the Jews, but it's not about Jewish people. This is about all of us. And what I said we wanted to learn in this series is we wanted to learn who the devil is what his works are, and how does Jesus destroy them. And here at the end of the passage, Jesus speaks very clearly and gives us some insight into who the devil is and what his works are. Look in verse 44, and you'll see that Jesus is speaking about the devil. And here's what he says about the devil. He says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. The devil was not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When the devil lies, he's speaking his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what we learn about who the devil is, the great enemy of our soul, is that his modus operandi, his preferred operating system, is to lie. That he's a deceiver. 
that he's a manipulator, that he's a distortion artist. And the way that he wants to work is by bringing lies into our lives, into humanity. I love that. Lies are his native language. It's just what comes out of him. If any of you are bilingual, uh, maybe you grew up in another country and you've moved to America and you're speaking a language that's not your native language, you know how sometimes when you're pressed, just what language is deep down in your heart just comes out, right? Jesus said when the devil's pressed, you know what comes out is lies. He's a liar. The devil is a liar. And so we gain insight into who he is. We also gain insight into what his works are. He is propagating lies to people. He's a liar. We often think of the devil when we think about demonic power. If I were just to ask you, when I talk about the power of the devil, what do you think about? Probably most of us would say, well, I think about someone's head like spinning around like in a movie or someone's eyes getting weird and they're like levitating and the lights are flickering on and off or there's a weird voice coming out. Something that we've seen in a horror movie. And we do see places in scripture, we're going to look at one in two weeks, where demonic power is experienced in a physical way. But I would put before you that we need to open up a new category of thinking about the power of the devil and not think about his powers so much in terms of physical dynamics, but in terms of power to deceive, in terms of power to manipulate, in terms of skill in distorting the truth. That's what we see here. These are the works of the devil. And it's so amazing to think about for these Jewish people that are there, as you read them, they are entirely unaware that they have bought into the lies and the schemes of the devil. But they have. Jesus is saying the way that you're thinking, the way that you're approaching life, the way that you're seeing the world is not rooted in God's perspective. It's rooted in the devil's perspective. Whether you know it or not, what you are believing, right, are lies. Or to pull the old uh, elf movie, the devil sits on a throne of lies, right? What you're believing are lies, And those lies are influencing your life individually and as a community. So much so that you are carrying out, Jesus said, you are carrying out your father, the devil, his agenda for your life. That these people, based on what they believed, what was in their minds, the way they saw the world, positioned them and moved them and empowered them to carry out not God's agenda for their life, but a demonic agenda for their life. Think about the implications for all of us. Winston Churchill said after World War II that we were to no longer think of empires in terms of physical power, but we were to think about the empire of the mind. Ideas are powerful. Just as uh, last Sunday we had baby dedications and there were four babies that were born very, very, very prematurely, born very, very small. And yet here at the baby dedications, they were large, they were healthy, they were full of life with a bright future in front of them. And as we were looking at that, something that wouldn't have been possible 100 years ago, or maybe even 50 years ago, or maybe even a decade ago, as we were looking at that, 
That was the fruit of an idea of someone, a scientist, a doctor somewhere saying, well, what if we tried this and what if we tried that? And beginning to iterate and take an idea that in the end brings life to people who before would not have been able to experience life. My mom came to visit uh, this past week. She lives out of state. And I got to see my mom because she flew here in a metal object flying through the air, which we call an airplane. But if you stop to think about that, that's crazy, right? It's just wild that we could get in some device and fly through the air and then land and be okay, right? And that was the fruit, the product of somebody's idea and somebody's experimentation that years later, or connecting people in new ways. I spoke with uh, some church planters, some missionaries in Africa this week. We talked through the power of FaceTime. We're, we're, we're on our phones and we're seeing each other. We're talking to each other in real time. They're halfway around the world. Amazing. Again, just the product of an idea. Ideas have power to bring life. Ideas shape our own lives and they shape our community and the history and the trajectory of our people. Ideas are powerful. But ideas also, it cuts both ways. They can be very destructive. You think about uh, the beginnings of World War II and the German nation. They were very advanced in many ways in thinking, right? But they adopted an idea about Aryan supremacy that led to the destruction of many, many people, all based on an idea. It was an idea that planted and grew and shaped history. I think about the atomic bomb, the product of an idea that now we live in a world where nuclear security is a major issue and there are people in the world with enough power to blow up humanity with the press of a button, all the product of an idea. Or think about 9-11 and the bombers that because of an idea about good and evil and who God was and, and where the devil was, destroyed a, a huge terrorist event in our nation. The fruit of an idea. Ideas are powerful. And it's so much so that I read recently that um, Saudi Arabia and Russia have started, uh, rather than trying to engage as much in physical warfare, They've built these troll farms. Familiar with the social media term troll? They've built these troll farms, people who put out stories and pester people. They've built these armies of trolls for our social media networks to put forth stories and to manipulate stories and to play to emotions. It's this new frontier trying to shape people's minds. Whereas before you would try and control a situation through physical dominance, ideas are so powerful. Now people are saying we don't need to have physical dominance if we can just control the mind. I read another article talking about the number of our own movies, American movies, that the CIA had a part in rewriting storylines to promote a certain agenda. Wow, right? They understand the power of an idea. And so I want to encourage you today, these Jews, they were believing ideas that not that they had gone out and just chosen independently, but that they were born into, that were normal to them. 
This was just the way things were. They viewed the way things were as we are the Jewish people, we are God's chosen people, and what that means is that we should rise to national supremacy, that we should be a power nation, that other nations should look to us, and we should have uh, material wealth and prominence that people would respect us. That was their view. They had come to hold this view because it had been embedded in their culture, in their nation. It wasn't something they consciously said, oh, I want to do this. It was what they were born into. It was what their, if they had movies, it's what their movies would portray. If they had radio or Spotify, it's what their songs would sing about. It was the value system of their people. And yet it was a value system that influenced them and shaped them through demonic power, Jesus says. Shaped them with lies blinded them from truth and shaped the history of their people. So we learn about ideas and we learn about that one of the ways that the devil works is to bring lies. Now, if you look through scripture, there are three categories that are the primary arenas that I would put before you where the enemy works to bring lies to people. Category number one are lies about God. The devil works to bring lies about who God is. For these people that we're reading about, the devil had turned their understanding, had manipulated their understanding, where before and throughout their history, God had revealed himself, and as in the song we sang, that he's rich in love and slow to anger, that he's good to all, that had gotten twisted And their version of God had gotten diminished to, he was the ruler on high, he had a lot of power, he had an army, and he was going to lead us into military and political victory. Their idea of God was shrunk and distorted away from who God had revealed himself to be. Not entirely, but but, but they'd, they'd gotten focused on certain parts. They were manipulated, they were lied to about who God was. If you think back to the original story of humanity in the Bible, Adam and Eve, and you read about their temptation where the enemy comes to them, he says, hey, did God really say you shouldn't do that? Because he knows if you did that, you know, you would would, uh, become like him. What was the enemy doing? He was lying about the character of God. He was saying, God's holding out on you. God doesn't really have your best intentions. God's not really looking out for you. He's withholding from you. Not, he's saying he's giving, but he's withholding, right? Again, a lie about who God is. Second category, there were lies about our identity, who we are. If you'll flip uh, up in, or if you'll turn your page up in the Gospel of John, where the Jews say to Jesus, they say um, that we have never been slaves to anyone. It's verse 33. We've never been slaves to anyone. So how can you say that we shall be set free? Well, if you've read through the scripture, if you've read through their history, you realize that's completely untrue. So much of their nation was dominated by being slaves. They were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. They were brought out of slavery, but for many years, as you read the history of their judges and their kings, they were enslaved by their own leaders. And then they became slaves to the Babylon Empire, to to Persia, to all these other different people. They had spent many, many, many years. Their history 
was steeped in being slaves. And yet somehow they had come to a belief that, oh no, we haven't ever been slaves. Right? The enemy lied to them about who they were so they wouldn't be aware of their true need. He deceived them. If you think when Jesus is tempted in Luke chapter 4, which we studied earlier as we were going through the gospel, he's in the desert. The enemy comes to him and brings temptation. And all the temptations, if you go and look, start with one thing, questioning his identity. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, all of them targeting his identity. Third category were lies about where the good life was to be found. For Adam and Eve, right, the lie was, hey, the good life is not to be found in God's loving care and God's provision. The good life, the best things in life, the life that you want to live is going to be found in you taking matters into your own hands, doing things on your own terms and your agenda, you taking control of this situation. That's where the good life is. For these Jews... The enemy deceived them, thinking the good life was going to come through political achievement, through national prominence, and all of those things. But what they were oblivious to is if you look through their history, they had had so many different ruler changes and leader changes, so many different empires, so many different names that they were held under, so many different languages of the day. And yet, even though those things changed, Everything stayed the same. The operating system remained the same. They were still trapped in sin. But they thought they were deceived and thinking, well, if we could just change this, then life would be good. And we would be in the good life, right? The enemy lies to them. And he lies to us about who God is, about who we are, and about where the good life is found. Insert Jesus, because if we just stopped here, if Jesus never came, you and I leave today with a very depressing reality. Everything around us is lies. I have no idea how to tell the truth. I just, that's my lot in life. But Jesus did come. The Son of God did appear, and he appeared in order to destroy the works of the devil. So we have a lot of good news, so let's turn our attention from the bad news to see what Jesus wants to do. And he tells us in verse 31, he proclaims his purpose. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what the devil wants for your life is for you to believe lies and to spend your life believing lies. What Jesus wants for you, the Son of God appearing on our behalf, is to destroy the works of the devil, in this case to destroy the devil's lies, and to bring us into truth, to bring us into life, to bring healing. How many of you know that Jesus' truth is our healing? His truth is not, oh, that's actually not going to be good for me. No, his ways are the best things for us. And when he brings truth, it brings healing. It brings hope. 
It brings deliverance. It brings freedom. I'm preaching to somebody today. You look a little sleepy, but I want you to know the Son of God appeared to destroy the lies of the devil that have been holding you and me back, that have run in your family tree. You look in your family pictures, and you're like, oh, I see that same lie that's running there. It's still in me. Jesus has come to set you free. He's come to bring truth and bring you out of deception and into life and into truth. This is how he destroys the works of the devil. The Jews were awaiting a king that was going to come in power with an army and was going to deliver them by force. And they got a king who came in power. But he didn't go after what they thought was their real problem. He didn't go after Caesar, whoever was in power, those things had changed so many times, and yet they remain enslaved. He came with a sword, but it wasn't a physical sword for exacting violence. He came with a sword, and it was the sword of his teaching. It was the sword of his word. It was the sword of his life. And as he came to teach, as he came to show them, as he came to say, if you hold to my teaching, if you will follow me, I will lead you out of deception and I will show you who God really is. I will show you who you are in him and I will show you where the good life is to be found. Every time we read the gospel of Luke, every time you read about Jesus, I want you to see him as a king going to war on behalf of his people. Every time he's teaching, he is chopping through the lies that have held you and me back. Every time he's demonstrating mercy and compassion, his teaching was not just confined to his actual sermons. His teaching was his life. Our king came and didn't just speak about righteousness. He lived in a righteous way. He didn't just speak about compassion. He brought compassion. He didn't just proclaim mercy. He brought mercy. The Jews, they had boiled him down to thinking that his compassion and his mercy were only for the people that had their act together and obeyed all these rules. And Jesus came saying, no, 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 that's holding you back. You're deceived. My compassion and my mercy is for all. Whoever would come to me can experience my mercy and my love, right? His life was his teaching, and his teaching was setting them free. So when you read through the Gospels and you're seeing, how does Jesus destroy the works of the devil? Don't let it be boiled down into just the power encounters of casting out demons, which we will read about in two weeks. But I want you to see the entirety of his life and his ministry as our king waging war on our behalf. Waging war not only on our behalf, but on behalf of humanity taking on the real enemy of our souls and renewing us in truth. Jesus has come to set us free. And I want to talk to you for a few moments about this process of holding to his teaching. Because the way in which you and I experience and encounter this truth setting us free is by following Jesus' instructions here, where he says, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We need to hold to his truth. We need to hold to his teaching. 
And this means so much more. You might have grown up in a religious environment that taught right thinking equals right action. And it is good. I like it. But there's a level of nuance and depth that's sometimes overlooked. And I want to walk you through what I like to call the five levels of transformation. And this is how truth, this is how we hold to Jesus' teaching and how he builds us and rebuilds us in truth. Level one is we become aware of the truth. We need to know the truth, right? He said, then you will know the truth. We need to have it in our brains. We need to become aware. We want to be students of scripture. We want to be students of God's word. There's a reason that you came this Sunday. It's because the Lord is wanting to expose you to new truth. You've done a good thing by starting your week in God's presence. And he's wanting to give you truth. We need to become aware of it. But there's a difference between becoming aware of something and then embracing it as my own. I can start learning about eating healthy, and I'm just kind of gathering information, right? But there comes a shift when I say, you know what? I actually do think eating non-processed food would be healthier for me, right? There's a, you realize the difference. There's a shift there. I've made a, a commitment, at least intellectually, at least mentally, to saying, yes, that's not just truth, but I'm receiving this. I am latching onto this. I am holding to this. That involves our, our minds. And our minds need to be transformed by the truth of Jesus. His healing and his freedom will not come in surface level, skin deep, just interactions. Right? It's got to go deep in our lives. We have bigger problems than just needing to know one more Bible verse. We need to come in line with that scripture, say, Jesus, this is your way. I'm holding to your truth in our minds. We begin to think differently. But it needs to go a level deeper than just thinking. I can know that eating natural foods is healthy for me, and I can still go eat you know, uh, hot dogs or pizza or Taco Bell or whatever it may be, right? We've all done that. Every one of us, you know, you say, yeah, I think that's right, but here's what I'm doing, okay? So we need truth to sink a level deeper. We need to take the time with truth to let it sink into our will to where we begin to take steps to live based on that truth. It's a very different step. It's a significant step to go from I believe that to I'm starting to align my life with that. So some of the ways that you might do this if you're thinking just the health food example um, is, you know, you do something like the Whole30. You say, okay, I'm going to do this 30-day, you know, eating plan. I'm going to take this step to start putting it into action. You're probably not going to like it on the front end. You know, it's probably not going to be your favorite thing to do. I don't know that anyone stumbles into something like that. And it's like, oh, this is just what I was looking for. But you make a choice of your will. And our wills need to be reshaped. You and I have desires. Some of those desires are good. And some of those desires need to die. The problem is you and I don't really know which ones those are. And so we need Jesus' truth to sink into our will and begin to give us clarity there of you're hungering after this, but that's not where the good life is found. Right desire, wrong application. 
Take that same desire and put it over here, and this will lead you to life, right? We need the truth to sink that deep. And church, that takes time. That's not an overnight fix. I would put before you that freedom is not an event. It is a person and a process of letting truth sink deep and reshape our wills. But it needs to go deeper than that. Because I can make a choice of my will and my emotions are still way far to the right or to the left. Well, I'm doing this 30-day thing, but when my day to break comes, boy, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Right? Why do you say that? Because your emotions are not bought in. You're like, I still like nachos. You know, I don't like Brussels sprouts. And for you to really embody it and to let it fully transform you, it's going to have to impact your emotions. And I want you to know, some of us have been trapped in toxic emotions where we have believed the truth at a level. We've even tried to act on it. We've made resolutions and plans. But maybe no one has ever told you that truth can sink so deep that it rewrites your emotional chemistry. It rewrites the, the, the subtle beliefs that you have that you act on before you even know that you've acted on it and you're on down the road before you realize you said, oh, I told myself I was never going to do that again. And now I'm 30 miles down the road and I didn't even realize it. Because we can be corrupted down in our emotions. And Jesus' truth doesn't just speak to our minds. It doesn't just speak to our wills, but it remakes our emotions. And then it sinks even deeper to when we begin to operate fluently, holistically, mind, will, and emotions, living from Jesus' truth, holding fast to his truth. Uh, last thing that I'm going to share with you um, is if you're just like, well, okay, how do I actually do something with this? That's exciting. I would like to be free. What do I do? Uh, if you can pull up that chart, there's a... I'd encourage you to take a picture of this or to just write it down. It's just a sample of what you might do with this. And you could pick a topic of your life, something about God, something about who you are, something about uh, character, something about a decision, whatever, whatever it is you want. There are a million topics you could pick. Pick a topic and search through the scriptures. And Google can be your friend because it'll do all sorts of searches for you, but search through the scriptures and you'll find, here's what God's word says. Here's what the teaching of Jesus says about this topic. Write some of those observations in the, in the, in the column under truth. Write those down. Then take a moment to write what maybe you've believed. Or maybe our culture believes. Or maybe your family believes. Or maybe this friend believes. Write down other perspectives under the lie category. And it doesn't mean that these people are bad people, but what I've found this helps you do is it helps us begin to distinguish the truths of Jesus from the lies that we have become so accustomed to. For these Jews that we're reading about, it would have been very hard for them to distinguish truth from lie because it was just what was normal to them. And I found for so many people that we believe lives that have become normalized to us so they just seem like, oh, I thought this is the way everyone was. And when you'll do something like this and you'll begin to apply it to different areas of your life, you'll begin to see the truth of Jesus. And you'll begin to be able to hold to it and to let it transform you. With that, I want to invite you to stand. We have a lot to be thankful for today. Say it again.
We have a lot to be thankful for today. You are blessed. Every person in this room is blessed because you have a God who appeared on your behalf to take on your great enemy, to defeat the enemy of our souls, the devil, to bring truth into the places that you and I have held on to lies and to set us free. And you may have had the best week or you may have had the worst week, I don't know. And I empathize with your pain, but wherever you are, because we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, that means we have hope. And that means we can be thankful. And so what we're going to do as we close, if we can get the officiants to come forward, the ushers to come forward, we're gonna take communion together. As we take communion, sometimes called the Lord's Supper, we come forward and we take of the bread and we take of the cup and we remember what Jesus has done on our behalf. We remember that he went to the cross to take on our sin and to bring forgiveness. We remember he rose again to give us new life. And we commit ourselves afresh to holding to his teaching and being his people. And so I wanna encourage you, uh, if, the, if the ushers can come forward, as they come, when the worship team leads us, you're going to come forward when you're ready. And you don't have to if you don't want to, but if you'd like to receive communion today, come forward, take of the bread, take of the cup, return to your seat. As the worship team leads us in worship, I'd encourage you to reflect and even recommit to the grace of God and the truth of Jesus. If you're here today and you say, well, I don't really know that I know Jesus. I don't know that I've ever said, I'm gonna follow you or hold to your te his teaching in the first place. I want you to know there's good news for you today. You don't have to wait to get your act cleaned up. You don't have to wait to get perfect and transformed and everything be good in your life before you can lay hold of Jesus. He has come to lay hold of you and me wherever we find ourselves today. And he wants to bring you in. God loves you so much that he didn't wanna leave you in your sin. Though we turned from him, he didn't turn from us. And he came in Jesus and he went to the cross and he died on the cross for your sin and mine. And he rose again to give us new life. And the way that we receive that new life is by faith, by putting our trust in him and by saying, I want to follow you. And so I wanna give you an opportunity if you're here today, I'd like for everyone just to bow your heads for a moment. If you're here today and you're like, man, I need to follow Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe you grew up in church. Maybe when you were younger, you made a commitment to him, but you've fallen away and you're trying to make your way back. Jesus running down the road, wants to bring you in. So I wanna invite you, if that's you, to raise your hand. I'm gonna say a short prayer with you. Again, if I could have all eyes closed. Awesome, hands going up all over the room. I want us to pray together. Just pray with me and the whole church, let's pray this together. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you came to set us free. I choose to follow you. I receive your forgiveness and I wanna hold to your teaching and walk into the life that you have for us all. In Jesus' name, amen.